Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Freedom Talks. This is Brady, and today I am joined by one of our therapists, Molly Ripberg, and our guest, Sarah Matheson. She is the co-founder and creative director of Hungry Harry's. Um, how are you guys both doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, Sarah, I mean, can you take us through kind of the start of Hungry Harry's, what you do, what the mission of the company is, and why you helped start this company? So I'm a food allergy mum. So I actually wear that as a badge of pride. So, you know, food allergies entered our world when we were actually holidaying in Thailand. Uh, Harry was three. He ate a cookie. He had an anaphylaxis. And our world completely changed on that day. We were thrown in the back of an ambulance. Um, We had a a trip through the back streets of Phuket and we were at the local hospital with a prognosis that he's allergic to something. When we got back to Sydney, we found out that he was dangerously allergic to nuts and intolerant to dairy, gluten, eggs, soy and seafood. So fast forward a few years and we find ourselves in the US. So you might remember Snowmageddon, you know, that massive blizzard in 2011? Yeah, everybody, yeah, I read that's that's kind of etched in our memories. Well, that is actually the week uh, my family arrived from Sydney. So we left 110 degrees. We traveled for 56 hours, 17 bags and six EpiPens. And we arrived to start a new life in Chicago. So not only did we move countries, drastically change climates, upend our family everything was new every food packet was new every labeling was new all labeling was different so we had to relearn this whole what can harry eat what labels can i trust what food brands do i want to be what do i want to try and then so to make our lives really simple i was making these little muffins for harry to take to school this lunchbox came home empty and i can remember trying to make it a positive parenting moment and go congratulations Harry you ate your lunch and he goes yeah no I didn't hang on a minute (laughs) who ate your lunch Vivian Harry why is the non-allergy kid eating the allergy kid's lunch oh mum she liked it and it was like a light bulb I get this visceral reaction when I tell the story if the non-allergy kid wants to eat the allergy kids lunch everyone's included and that's when we realized we needed to take our baking mixes and actually share them with other food allergy families and people who cared about food allergy families so we have five baking mixes under the brand hungry harry's and so we have pancake waffle muffin chocolate cake yeah a yellow cake chocolate cake and an all-purpose flour so that's what i do well, so we, our objective is to make allergy-friendly easy. Well, f- uh, first of all, it's awesome that you were able to take that, I'm sure, overwhelmingly negative experience and turn it into a very positive one that not only helped you guys, but also could help everybody and kind of make you have that, like provide something that does provide inclusion for everybody um, and something that tastes great. Um how does your son feel about uh, being the poster child for the, the company? It's funny. When he was really little, he was like, I'm on a pack. Hey, aren't I cool? And then he got to 12 or 13 and he went, oh, my parents, this, so embarrassing. Oh, my gosh. And now that he's 16, 
and he's at a high school downtown in Chicago. And one of his friends from high school sent him a photo of our Hungry Harry's on shelf in Mariano's, which is our local supermarket here in Chicago. And he came downstairs and showed me the photo. And I was like, I was expecting to see your mum look. And I get think, mum, I'm actually really proud. And so that was a moment because it is, you know, it's a big deal when you decide to put your child's photo on a pack. But the reasoning behind it was that he's an ordinary kid. He's, he could be the kid next door. He could be the kid down the road. He's a kid like everybody else. And all they want to do is eat food like everybody else. Yeah, especially as a 16-year-old teenager, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you also talked about that massive change from where you were all over the place when you were in Australia and traveling and things like that and then coming to the U.S., did you find like you you said it was obviously a change but did you find one place over the other to be easier with the labels and the packages and things like that labeling laws in australia are, first of all australia's um obviously it's got the, basically the same land size of the us but only about 14% of the population so it's you know there's only 26 million people labeling laws in australia are a lot different and they're a lot stricter. Where here, there's a little bit of um, movement in what labelling laws are like, and there's a little bit of inconsistency. And I know the FDA works incredibly hard to try and establish consistency, and that's something we will see over time. Like in the short term, the FASTA Act, which was passed about 18 months ago, which was sesame as the ninth allergen, that's now impacting how food producers label their products because the FDA is working through the process of saying, yeah, it's got to be on pack. You've got to define it as an ingredient at all levels. Um, So labelling is complex, but the most important thing is it's label everything. To those food producers, put all your ingredients on, please. Mm-hmm. Just you know, make it easy for yourself. Well, you said it very diplomatically. I coming. <laughs> I'm I'm a food par- uh, allergy parent as well, and I had the pleasure of getting to meet Sarah. I think three or four years ago now. Yeah. Um, but in the United States, it is so difficult. I I hear about other countries that when you look at a label, it yep. literally lists everything if anything touched that who that food or that um mix or whatever it has whatever has been touched in it in the united states i like sarah said that they're working to try and make things more transparent but there's a lot of very large food producing companies that can hide things in their products in their ingredients and then say it's proprietary. We can't tell you what's in this because yes. it's a proprietary. And so as a food allergy family, it's hard because we have peanuts, tree nuts, sesame, sunflower. So if sunflower is hidden or sesame, well, sesame yes. isn't anymore, but if sunflower is hidden in something, we don't always necessarily know it. And it depends on how risky you are comfortable you feel with different companies but um you know if you go into canada or you go into europe you look at a label it looks very different even if it's the same product that we would Mm -hmm. eat here because they are very much more forthcoming with what they 
put in their products versus here? Yeah. So in the US, it's top nine. As I mentioned, the faster act bought sesame. In Europe, it's top 14. In Australia and in Asia, it's top 14. So we're top 14 because of long-term, you know, long-term ambitions. We all have to have those blue sky objectives, you know, that we will become a global brand. But one of the fundamentals about food production is it's kind of broken into. It's these massive multinationals or it's smaller companies. And it's don't underestimate how incredibly hard it is to start a food company. It's really tough. I'm sure. It's really hard. Um, my husband has close to 40 years experience in CPG marketing. I worked in direct marketing and loyalty for 25, 30 years. We, we know how to launch products in different markets. We, you know, it's very hard to launch something. And then, you know, we took a, the top 14 because we're like, well, if Harry has exposure to any one of his allergens, you know, it's toast. It's, there's nothing. He, he, we've got about three minutes. So having absolute clarity around being free from was vitally important to us and as a brand, because it's important to us as a family. And I actually like to sleep at night. (laughs) Every other, you know, one of the most rewarding parts of doing this brand of building Hungry Harry's has been the emotional connection I have with my food allergy mums. You know, we feel the same anxiety. We've had the same experiences. We know what it's like to sit in a supermarket and pick up a packet and go, yeah, not that one. Yeah, not that one. Then you find one and you go, yes. <laughs> so our journeys are the same, you know, and I talk about this. There's a layer of complexity that comes across your life when food allergies enter your world. And food allergy mums are looking for simplicity. You know, they're looking for safeguards and simplicity. I think absolutely. W- <clears throat> one of the interesting kind of facets that I think I would like to hear from both of your perspectives because uh, the beginning, uh, Sarah, of your allergy journey with your son was through the Australian healthcare system and Molly's, yours was through the U.S. healthcare system. Um, could you both kind of take me through the process of testing for all those allergens and kind of the care that you've received and what you've been happy and disappointed in and then kind of compare the two experiences to see how similar or dissimilar that they might be? Sure, Molly, why don't you go first? Okay, so um, our food allergy journey started when my oldest was, I think, about two. Um, My daughter had just been born, and he was being put into a um, his first kind of school um, situation, and I thought, well, they always serve peanut butter and jelly at these places, and I want him to, like, try it before he goes, And he had been really resistant to like, we tried like peanut butter and apples and peanut butter cookie. I mean, we tried it in any, in every form and he just never would eat it. So finally I had like a tiny bit of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I kind of forced him to try it. And sure enough, you know, he had hives right away. And, um, I don't remember if I must've given him like, um, uh, I don't, I, I don't remember Sudafed or I, I gave him something And then, of course, you know, we called the doctor and took him in, had, you know, his, his, he got tested for peanuts and then all tree nuts and uh, testing um, came back 
And they said, you know, between his skin tests, which were all positive, which we later learned was um, he has a, like a very sensitive skin that comes along. Part of it comes along um, with the food allergies, like a type of eczema kind of thing. Um, but all of it came back positive. And we were kind of just, you know, in that moment, you, you feel very overwhelmed by like, oh my God, like he can't eat any nuts. And like, what does that mean? And I had not really experienced it that much growing up. I didn't have friends that had food allergies growing up. Um, so it, it kind of feels like the, the walls are caving in on you. Um, and so we worked with one of the children's um, hospitals up here. Um, and, you know, they basically said to us, he just needs to avoid all, all nuts, which okay, you know, you're trying to deal with a two-year-old that's already a fussy eater, and now we're going to take things out. But, um, you know, as things went along, we started noticing he had, was developing more allergies where he would get hives, and, um, you know, we kept taking him back in, and over the course of an, another year or two, we discovered that he was also allergic to sesame and sunflower. Um, at that point, you know, we were, we felt fairly limited in what we could safely give him, and so we, um, and the doctors were just kind of kept saying, avoid, 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 um, which is, which is hard. Um, and so through trial and error, I came across a non-pediatric allergist, um, who we just had a good connection, um, and took Sean in and he, you know, looked at our, you know, reran his results and, said, you know, yes, he's definitely allergic to these things, but I think there's some nuts and stuff that he's not allergic to. So let's, you know, kind of go through there and sift through and try and figure out what truly he's allergic to and what he isn't and avoid the things he is and then bring back some of the things he isn't. Um, it's been hard to navigate it in the healthcare system um, in that, you know, sometimes even in the hospital, he's had some procedures done and it's like, whoa, 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 did you check and see that, you know, none of whatever the medicines you're using or um, creams or anything are, have sunflower in them or have, you know, and they kind of look at you and it's like, yeah, well, you need to check these things. Like you can't, you're in the, he's supposed to be safe in the hospital. You need to like make sure that you, what you're using on him isn't going to create a secondary issue. Um, so Good and bad. We're not, I'm not real into like the OIT, the um, oral immunotherapy. Um, it's kind of a more up and coming. Um, for a while, it was not FDA approved. It's beginning to have more trials and become um, more FDA approved, but we haven't ventured down that path yet just because comfort wise, I'm not there yet. Um, but yeah, Sarah, you can jump in and let okay, us so know what now, First of all, the Australian medical system is, we have um, national medicine. So our whole experience of going, you know, when we came back from Thailand, I took him to his doctor, we got a referral to the allergist, we did all the skin tests. His welts were, you know, they have this little grade card and they'll put it over the bumps and uh, from where they, you know, they put the allergen and then they prick it and then they see how the bump goes. And well, Harry's were 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, and 10. And I was like, yeah, great, fantastic. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I kind of know what I'm I'm in for because I actually have allergies myself. I'm dangerously allergic to sulfites, so preservatives in food. So I don't eat packaged food. I eat food I can see. 
So with Harry, it was very much, so we're in Australia until he was six. And then we came over here and the idea of redoing all the tests was I just moved countries. I'd gone from summer to winter and Rob actually lived away four days a week for four years. So I'm like in a foreign city by myself. I'm like, yeah, no, we're just going to stay. We're just going to let his body mature. And then when he's a bit older, we will get him tested again. It's actually now that he's 16, it's actually something we want to do again, but it's, a, it's finding that block of time. Um, so it's, I think for any parent, you know, especially when you know that they're allergic to it and then you want to trial it. And I'm like, I'm like, eh. and the OIT is amazing. And I know families that have great success with it, but you also have to ensure that they don't have any other medical issue. If the child has any type of, you know, severe asthma or gastrointestinal issue, they're not an OIT candidate. So for those kids that it work, works really well with, and it's a dedicated approach from the parents, good on them. I'm so glad it works. It's not something we can do. So um, it's, you know, food allergies are just the way we live. In saying that, we've taken Harry all over the world. He has flown around 200,000 miles. So that's effectively six times around the world or 64 times between the East and the West Coast. So we used to travel extensively so i've taken him everywhere so i've never let his food allergies be a reason as to why we can't do something it does mean that i do triple the effort before we leave <laughs> but i'm really happy to do that and so is part of you being able to do that and being able is that part of i mean i understand it's like planning and things like that but are, are you t is it a big part of it like taking some of your own mixes knowing that you might have to cook where you're going Absolutely. Um, it, I mean, obviously calling ahead to restaurants and seeing which restaurants might be safe, that kind of thing. And what I do is I don't, uh, as soon as we leave the house, we don't, Harry doesn't have any uh, anybody else's food until we arrive at our destination. Oh. So at the airport, on the plane, I'm like, yeah, no, nah, we're, <laughs> we're not trusting it. Um, the plane can be interesting. I've had some beautiful people around me be really supportive. And I've had some shockers, you know, some people who were like, well, it's my seat. I pay for it. I'm eating my cashews. And I'm like, yeah, can I just let you know, if you open that packet of cashews, this plane's not going anywhere. It's oh, not going anywhere. Yeah, so we're yeah. getting off, which means they have to find our bags. And odds on, if you've opened that and he's breathed that in or touched something that you've touched, There'll be a medical emergency and the plane's not going anywhere. So let's not eat the cashews on the plane, please. Um, I had a trip recently, uh, November last year, to um, the East Coast. And the, the flight attendants were magnificent. They were fantastic. But it, one of the challenges there is there's no consistency. And that's, yeah. the, that's the hard bit. You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, we just got back from going to the East Coast. And I always say the hardest part is the planning. Once we're there, yeah. you know, I have, I have my, you know, this, I, we always, we always have food, but like the heart, like, you know, I have my list of like, we've called these restaurants, we've talked yeah. to the chefs, you know, we've talked to the owners. We have a, a secondary backup plan because we've gotten to restaurants before where we thought it was going to be, a, his allergies were going to be accommodated. 
and we sat down we said we'd like to speak with the chef you know we're here we have food allergies they come out we say we can't accommodate so we always have a secondary plan backup but i say the hardest part of going on vacation is the pre the, the planning of it and then even just sitting in the plane going please make the announcement please have people on the plane that are compassionate that understand but you're right sarah it's so hit or miss we had two flights one was amazing. They got on before we even took off and said, yeah. we have someone with allergies. You know, we're going to please ask that nobody, you know, eats nuts on this flight. The second one, I said something beforehand, said something as I was boarding the plane to the stewardess. And it was when they were serving snacks that they finally got around to say it. And I thought, oh my God, someone's just going to open up their snacks ahead of time because we've been on the flight for 45 minutes and I'm sitting there the whole time, you know, kind of white knuckling this, you know, <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. so, you know, I, as much as I want to show my kids the world as a food allergy parent, you have your plan, your backup plan and your backup backup plan, because you just, you don't ever know. I carry food in my backpack. Cause if we're stuck in the airport for yeah. hours, I mean, I have yeah. a suitcase full of, safe food that once we get there that I know, you know, he's going to eat. So, um, you know, I I think it's wonderful though, how much you've traveled with Harry and, you know, I think it shows all of the food allergy kids that like, you're not stuck, you know, just because you have a life-threatening, you know, medical condition, you're not just stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the most important things is that we, we do start to wear our food allergies as a badge of pride rather than that's something to be embarrassed about. And that's okay coming from a 54-year-old woman. For a 12-year-old kid, it's like, oh. And I've had Harry melt into a bundle of emotion at a checkout in Whole Foods going when he was little, he was about eight. He said, I hate my allergies. And I went, don't you think I would have got rid of them or switched the, the button off if I could? I can't. And I'm not going to pretend that it's not as challenging as it is. I know it's really hard, but it's not the most challenging thing you're ever going to have to do in your life. Exactly. So let's go off and, and you know, give it a go. Yeah. And then the inside of my stomach's going, <laughs> that's another point. <laughs> I, that, that might be a good uh maybe segue into talking a little bit about Hungry Harry's and, and how some of those mixes – uh, maybe enable you to carry food that is a allergy safe. And then I guess, is there any plans in the future to launch a food brand with like a pre-made, you know, I don't know, snack bars and things like that with hungry Harry's at all. So what we're doing, what at the moment we are baking mixes. So we're five baking mixes that are free of the top 14 allergens. And why we started there was the longer shelf life and we had access to a production facility that can help us do mixes and it was free of the top 14 and that's pretty unique it is in the u.s but it's in a secret location (laughs) um we would love to be able to do ready to eat and all of the different things and that costs an enormous amount of money you know you you basically need five million dollars sitting in your bank account if you're going to start launching ready to eat to scale because one of the challenges of these businesses is that you start, you get some demand, and then you get picked up by supermarkets. You've got to be able to satisfy the demands of those supermarkets. And if you're in 
six or 700 supermarkets, that's 10,000 units you've got sitting on the shelf with another 10,000 units you've got sitting in the warehouse and another 10,000 units you've got ready to service your own business and Amazon. And then the next order and then the next order. So we would love to be doing ready to eat. And you never quite know what will happen in the future, but at the moment we're our baking mixes. The opportunity for us is institutional. So we've had a lot of inquiry from hospitals, universities, college, university colleges, schools, um, daycare centres, things like that. So we've, we've got some lovely announcements that we'll be making public in the next four to six weeks. Um, it makes a fundamental difference to somebody's life, to the life of a food allergy family. If there is consistency of product across what they eat at home, what they eat in a hotel, what the child eats when they go off to, or the young adult eats when they go off to college. And that level of anxiety that the mother or the prime carer manages, it can all go away if there's a consistency of brand. And that's some of the stuff that we're dealing with at the moment. So that you've, that's come up twice, kind of. You originally had talked about, while well, it's very difficult to become, go from being a small food producer to... Uh, a large one um and like yeah. you kind of said could you and you kind of explained one of the challenges there uh could you explain some of the other challenges and what it essentially would take for um a small food producer to make that giant leap into a massive one okay what is required it comes down to capital it comes okay. down to access to consistent capital because you know when i talk about that thirty thousand units that are in motion you already have to organize your next 30,000 units or your next 100,000 units. And it's that juggle between gaining a new supermarket group. Like if you take on, you know, a Walmart, that's thousands of stores. Yep. So that instead of 30,000 units, you're needing 200,000 units. So your, your capital requirements are exponential. One of the other things is, you know, supply chain is a challenge at the moment, but it's also logistics. You know, we have customer, we're very fortunate. We work with an organization called Where to Go, which has um, um, DCs, distribution centers in 14 locations around the country. So we're really fortunate that we're with them in their locations. And then we're in location, uh, DCs with our um, distributor, which is KHE. So we can service the whole country from our combination of 14 distribution centres. That's really complex. Yes. 100%. It's really complex. So where is the stock? Where's the demand? Okay, we've got a new supermarket over here. They're across their four, these four states. Oh, somebody in California wants to stock you. Okay, what do you do? You know, the, we have an amazing young man called Nate who manages our logistics. And I just, I just go, it's this grid that it's changing all the time. That's uh, why you see all those supply uh, supply chain and logistics ex experts becoming CEOs of major corporations currently. Exactly. Because yep. it is, yeah, you've got, you know, it's, you know, food allergies is 8% of kids, 10% of adults, and 13% of active military. But they're all over the country. Yep. And then you've got, like, we have customers in every one of the states across the U.S. And we have supermarkets in 35 states. And then we have Amazon and then we have our own website. That's a lot of where does it go when? Yep. It's a lot of leadership, a lot of moving uh, moving parts. It's um, a lot of moving parts and it's also we're currently five mixes, 
so five products and when we have a bundle which makes a six skew so to speak but you add another product or another four you add a say a line of uh, granola bars or something and then you have five variants of that that's exponentially more complex so growth is really hard in food and that's why you know large food companies that have these big wear, big machines that pump out a certain food, it's really hard for them to kill it. So they actually look for the entrepreneurs to hopefully purchase in the future to go, that's right, you've done really well here. But the entrepreneurs going, okay, I'm working 24-7 here. <laughs> so it's, it's, you have to really love what you do to do it. Because otherwise... Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be overwhelming. Oh, um, completely overwhelming. But... It, it is nice that as a family, you guys are both working on that and it is a passion of yours. And you, you had talked about like active military and all of these sections of, you know, potential distribution areas that you need to get to. And just based on research that I, I had looked up before, it seems like you're steadily growing, not only, um, you know, selling more product, but also creating a bit of a community that's kind of gathering around Hungry Harry, that Hungry Harry's brand um, that can kind of, you know, find new ideas for food and cooking and things like that. How important has that been to the brand growth? And I guess, could you maybe share, you know, one or two success stories about people finding, you know, connections through the community that you guys have built? So our community starts with our Hungry Harry's Home Bakers. So they're a beautiful group of families from all over the country. And they have they're all ethnicities, all faiths, all socioeconomic brackets, all food allergies. So they're completely diverse, which is fabulous because it means everyone's included. And everybody gets a box of food each month. And then they bake. And we say bake the way you need to bake. Use Hungry Harry's as it fits into your life. Um, one of the most beautiful stories we have is from a family out of Michigan whose young son had never had fried chicken before and they were able to make fried chicken using our all-purpose flour. You know, it's fried chicken. You know, yeah. it's you know, it's a staple. And he was just like, I can do this. And the mum, Linnell, who's absolutely gorgeous, and we chat on the phone all the time, and she was like, thank you for giving me permission. And one of the things about food allergy mums is they're like, so, okay, I've got to keep my kids safe. They forget to give themselves permission to try something that is in within safe boundaries. And that's been one of the joys that I get to know. And when we talk about customers, like we've got one gorgeous customer who's in Phoenix and she bought 24 packets of flour. And so I rang her and I went, can I just ask, are you setting up a pop-up or something? <laughs> Well, no, no, no. I just, I just, it makes me feel safe to have your all-purpose flour in my pantry because we, I have one child with very severe allergies. You're the Hungry Harry's is all she eats. I've got three other children. They'll eat the Hungry Harry's pizza. And with their kids, we eat pizza three nights a week. So the idea of not having your flour disrupts my whole family. <laughs> so when I go into the normal supermarket and see that there's, issues with supply chain I, she said I went home and just ordered like crazy like she she ordered through our website through Amazon and I was like you okay 
She's yeah. like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good now. I know my order is coming. I'm great now, yeah. Yeah, and we've got another family who has children with very severe food challenges. And again, they can tolerate Hungry Harry's. And she's like, where's your pancake? Got to have your pancake. Got to have your pancake because it keeps my kids happy. Yeah. And everybody, you know, it's parent, it's parenting. We just want happy kids. We want happy, safe children. You know, that's what we want to have. Well, and I know, you know, just from my perspective as a food allergy parent, like it is one of those things where like I will have patients that come in and, you know, we just, we get to know each other and we talk yeah. and they, I learn about them and their families and they learn about me and my families. And sometimes food allergies come up and they're like, you know, I'm, I said, okay, well, what are your allergies? You know, what are you, what are you dealing with? And like, you know, I'm like, okay, next time I'm going to bring you in one of the hungry, you know, and it's like, it's one of those things that like, when you can share something that you know is safe with another family, you feel we're a community and we're all looking to help each other and make life easier. And like, whatever it is, if it's like a hungry Harry's packet or, you know, just being able to introduce them to something that maybe they didn't even know existed you know, if that can save them time making pancake mix or giving them a safe flower, or even with my kids, with Sean's birthdays in class, it's like, I am always more than happy to give someone either a chocolate cake or a, a yellow cake yep. package and say, you can make this, you can make it safe. There's nothing yep. that, you know, milk and eggs for us is okay. So it doesn't matter what you put in, but if you use this mix, we know yep. he can eat it and he can be included. So you know, it, it's such a huge, the food allergy community is such a, I won't say a positive, you know, kind of community where everyone is always trying to help everybody else navigate this, this system. Yeah. I think one thing you learn about food allergy families is they lead with empathy because we all know what it's like to sit in the back of an ambulance and none of us want anybody else to go through that again, because it can be really scary especially when you do it in a foreign country. Um, <laughs> I, could, so, I, I don't know how you, that, I don't know how I, I would manage I that have, situation. I have to go to humor because if I don't go to humor, <laughs> I just, I fall apart. So I go to humor and I just go, oh, you know, just another chapter. Here we go. <laughs> another one for the memoirs. Um, but we, you meet a food allergy family. Like we were at karate years ago and Harry did karate on a Saturday morning and he was doing it with this little guy, Jack, and it was Jack's birthday. And they and Jack's mum said, would you like to come? And I said, yeah, that'd be lovely. And I said, um, she said, my son, Jack, has food allergies. And I just went, oh, well, welcome to my world. That's right, you're in it. I got you covered. And we were, we were best friends until she moved back to England. Um, <laughs> So it, it, there's this innate connection when you understand that, no, you cannot, like somebody's got walnuts, uh, oil with walnuts in it. And I'm like, hey, red alert, you know, what are you, salad dressing, uh, what are you doing? Did you put it in, did you use it on the, on the saucepan? So it's just that high level of awareness that you have to have. But when you're with a food allergy mum, you go, they go, it's okay, you're safe. It's okay, yes, you can. Instead of, no, you can't. And our food allergy kids hear, no, you can't, all the time. And we say, no, you can't, all the time. And that wears thin on us, let alone our kids. So, you know, I say, I'm not trying to put kids on the moon. I just want to give them chocolate cake. <laughs> it's a basic here, really. The the story about the, the fried chicken, like you said, the chocolate cake, um, you know, I, 
I love trying new foods and yeah. different things and culturally different dishes and things like that. So like you said, with the fried chicken to, you know, to allow that child to try something new, but that it is safe. I, I can see how that would be so satisfying as a, both a parent, you know, and for the child. And that guy, that young guy now, he's probably about 14 now. He bakes. Yeah. He'll come from school and he'll bake. And his mother is just like, well, well up with tears and call me and go, he's in the kitchen again. <laughs> oh, good. I think, that, I think that is uh, like one of the wonderful things about food allergy kids is that they are, they take initiative, you know, that they learn from a young age that they have to, um, Self-advocate. Self, yes. And that even with Sean now, he's 10. He he wants to be in the kitchen. He wants to learn how to do stuff because he knows in his future, he yeah. has to be able to take care of himself. And part of that is feeding yourself. He can't stop at McDonald's and just yeah. pick something up and eat it on the way home. He knows that he has to. So, you know, not that he loves to cook all the time, but you know, slowly I see him as I start to start, you know, cooking dinner. It's like, oh, what are you making tonight? Well, can I yes. help? And yes. that to me is such a like a, a huge win because I know he's going to be okay. Yeah. Harry loves to cook. Loves. Like yesterday afternoon, Rob and I were out doing some errands and we came home and Harry was there with two mates. He'd made burgers and had it all organized. <laughs> and he was like, no, you do it like this and you do it like that. And, you know, he has a real interest in food which seems unusual for a kid that on the top and the surface you'd think a kid with food allergies wouldn't like food. Actually, they're really keen on food because they work so hard to find the food that they can eat. Yes. And they, one thing we've been able to do is support Harry to find creating food and sharing food a joyous occasion instead of, you know, having a little bit of negativity over the top. It's like, no, bake, give it a go. And he goes, no, mum, you do the baking. I'm doing the cooking. Give me the steak. Oh, you're right. Okay. He still eats our muffins. He still eats pancakes. This kid's eaten this stuff for years. He still eats it. Yes. So, you know. No. Well, that's because it's good. I mean, I think that that's just a testament to, like, how – normal it yes. tastes it doesn't yeah. taste like there have been times where we're like oh there's a new food allergy you know friendly brand yeah, or whatever yeah. and you taste it and you're like well this doesn't taste anything like yeah. what something that it doesn't you know non-food allergy and so your stuff doesn't taste food allergy it just tastes like everything regular else that you eat tastes, yes. it's like regular food Yes. So we've been looking, you know, when we talk to investors, we send them packs and we just go, like, just cook it like you normally would. And we get these text messages. This stuff's amazing. Mm -hmm. Like one investor, he came, he came back and said, my daughter came back for more. He said, yeah. and then he invests in food all the time. And he goes, my daughter doesn't eat more of everything. I get to try everything. And there's much stuff that my daughter doesn't eat it. We don't invest in it. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's an easy sales pitch then. Yeah. Well, just it, the thing is, if a non-allergy kid wants to eat it. Yeah. Then it's good to go. It's good to go. You know? So um, if you don't mind and if you have time, I was kind of fascinated too with um, your background that kind of you had before you started the Hungry Harry's brand as well. And it sounded like you did, it sounded like you and your husband did a lot of very interesting work 
leading up to that. Could you kind of take us a little bit through your career and and sure. where how you've ended up here to this point? Sure. So I'll start with Rob. Rob is a career marketer. So he has worked on everything from over-the-counter pharmaceuticals through to some pediatric drugs right through to the reason that we came to the US is he used to run a toilet paper brand. So he'd worked on this toilet paper brand in Australia. And yes, it's up in Wisconsin. Um, so Kimberly Clark? Work- yeah, yeah. He used to work for my, my, uh, my mom. My mom was a, it worked in HR there. I'm sure we know each other. We, I'm sure we know each other then. Um, so he's worked. Rob's worked on everything. And one of the fascinating things for Rob is understanding consumer behaviour, and the reason as to why you can get somebody to change from one brand to another. And it comes down to the emotional proposition. So yes, the the product has to be good and do what it's supposed to do. But if you don't emotionally connect to the consumer via the story you're telling. It, it, you're just a box mm-hmm. and so that's he's he's you know he's made thousands of commercials um he's very good at that type of stuff uh, my background is i worked in business development for internet and marketing companies where my role was to increase the size and frequency of transaction from a brand to a member base so if you think of like Qantas free complier program things like that i worked on on programs like that and when I arrived in the US, I, I said, I'll take a year off to settle us into the US. Well, that year turned into three years and I was going stir crazy. So I went back to school to study photography. So I landed in a classroom full of 19 year olds and I was 48. And I then spent two and a half years at Columbia College in Chicago and I studied documentary photography with some of the best, the leaders in, in documentary photography in the country. And I found it fascinating. So I jumped into the 2016 uh, presidential campaigns and I, because I'm Australian, I can't vote, but I was able to capture all sides. And so my documentary work looks at the connection, emotion and empathy of a community to a cause. So again, I look at that nuance of connection. I'm looking for that, that moment when somebody thinks about something or realizes something and you capture that. So with Hungry Harry's, I'm starting to do a little bit of documentary work as well, which is just, for me, absolutely joyous that I can work on the brand, but also tell the story. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's what we've both done. I, the, doc, the documentary photography has to be, like you said, fascinating. That's term, fascinating. And especially the, and probably one of the what, most hotly contested elections in U.S. history in 2016. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, been very fortunate. I photographed everybody. I did um, I did a presidential, the presidential races, and so I did some major events where I was on speeches. So I have literally photographed every, just about every elected official across the US and a lot of global leaders. And I was sitting there going, how do I get here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where... You've got to pick your chin up, put your arms out and believe that opportunity is yours. Yep. And I look at what we're doing with Hungry Harry's and every once in a while I go, how did we get here? And here am I talking to the CEO of a multinational food company and I'm talking about food allergy and they're saying one thing and I'm like, with all due respect, sir, it's actually got to go this way. And he's like, why? And I go, blah, 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 blah. Look at this, look at that. And, oh, okay. And they start researching. So 
all I can say is it's the world of opportunity to be where we are right now. Some of the, the kind of the changes we're experiencing, if we all keep focused on the long term, we're going to be okay. But we've got to seek out opportunity in everything that we do. Not, not too much time to be overwhelmed. No. You just got to go with it. You've got to keep going. <laughs> um, Molly, did I, did I miss anything that you'd be interested to hear from Sarah? No, I mean, her, her entire story from start to finish to what she's doing now for the allergy, you know, community is just magnificent. Um, I, you know, I don't know too many other harder working families that are out, not just making safe food, but advocating and, you know, really um, putting themselves out there to try and make all kids feel safe and included. So Sarah, the one, I think one question to wrap things up to that would be interesting is, you know, you said you've got some interesting announcements in the next four to six weeks that will be coming out for Hungry Harry's. Um, but I guess long-term, what do you envision or is it just kind of a day by day, keep moving forward kind of approach? I'm, um, I'm very much a blue sky person. Okay. I believe you have to have a big goal ahead of you. Um, you know, I would love to be in a position where, you know, you walk onto an airplane and you call out, hungry Harry's, and then everybody brings up their little yellow bag. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a dream of mine. You know, in saying that, we're talking to some really interesting organisations that know they need to address food allergy but really don't know how to do it. And they're, you know, and we talk to a lot of venture capital companies and a lot of food investors and they're like, you know, we've just got our heads around plant-based and, yeah, well, now we've got to deal with food allergy. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Um, you do. You have to deal with it. It's not going to go away. Growth rates are increasing. And one thing we all need to monitor is the impact of COVID on the rates of celiac. Oh. Because we find that celiac rates are going like this. Um, this research that's come out in the last little while that I'm still trying to find the original author of, the professor that, that, uh, that distributed it, but it's been in the press two or three times. It's like COVID hit our immune systems and now all these allergies and gastrointestinal issues are happening. So I'm like, guys, we, we need to realise what we're eating. And food brands and food companies need to be there. There's something happening over there. They need to pay attention. And every once in a while, we'll have a meeting with somebody and they'll go, I just learned so much. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Let's keep going. Let's keep talking. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. You're the multinational, but you learned so much. That's okay. <laughs> We're, Rob and I both come from large companies anyway, but it's like we know it, they know it's important, mm -hmm. but it's fun for the large food producers. It's fundamentally changing the way they do business. And that's the hard thing. They run factories that are the size of football fields, multiple products down lines, mm -hmm. multiple ingredients. And yeah, they clean the machines, but odds on something's going to happen. Well, that and just really quickly too, Sarah, you know, about uh, uh, when they introduced sesame being the ninth yeah. um, allergen, you know, there are companies out there that will remain unnamed, but for fear of litigation and all of that have, you know, they chose to put either, you know, peanuts in stuff or, um, sesame and stuff to not have to say, you know, we are sesame yep. free or we are nut free. And 
I shake my head thinking, no, 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 just as easy as it was to add something. It's just as easy, not easy, but take it out and clean your machines and start, you know, and, and find a way to then not have those things versus just saying, well, it's easier to put it in and just say, you can't eat it. Okay. What the, the self, the opportunity comes for small brands to do that. And that's yes. where I know people support us through thick and thin. And I'm, we have some families that really mind their pennies and they're like, we still buy you, you know, we're still buying our hungry Harry's. And I'm like, Grace, say thank you. Um, big companies, that, they're like IBM. They're big, they're powerful, they're really successful. They're a big ship. It's hard to turn. Small companies like us, we're very nimble. We can turn and we can pivot, but we don't have the capital. So it's this catch-22. Mm -hmm. So we spent 40% of our time with investors raising capital. Yeah. And that's really how we're a team of four. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, so we had, you know, we're 10 minutes, four, well, four, the hours of two people, but over three people. Um, our team's amazing. And they are completely and utterly engaged on the long term with our business. It's, um, would I be doing anything else? No. I, you know, I still get approached to do other projects. I'm like, I'm oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm on Hungry Harry's. And they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, yep, yeah, not coming back. Um, it, I am where I need to be. Because it's not, you know, I get to work on something that solves a problem, is a growth area. I get to tell this amazing story and I get to capture an amazing story. That's joyous. Yes. You know? Yep. It's, it's, if you gave me this job description, I'd be like, hell yeah, yep. I'm doing that. Um, and that still comes with a bucket load of frustration. Um and, you know, with any startup, you lose, when you decide to do a startup, you give up discretionary time and discretionary spend. I'm happy to do that because I know the end game will impact thousands and thousands of families. Well, we wish you nothing but luck in what is clearly a great cause and a great product. So um, could you let us know everywhere you can purchase and support Hungry Harry's? Sure. So uh, you can buy from HungryHarrys.com and Amazon. And we are in 650-something uh, supermarkets across the U.S. You can go on to HungryHarrys.com and you can find the store locator and see if there's a supermarket close to you. We are in the middle of doing another production run. So some stores are a little bit low, but thank you for your patience. More stock is coming soon. And, and if you live in the Milwaukee area, Festival Foods is carrying it just just to give the plug in Milwaukee, just because I know Milwaukee. Yes. <laughs> and, Thank you, Festival. <laughs> and we will include all of those links in the show description. So if anybody listening uh, needs to know those links, they're right there for you. Um, Sarah and Molly, thank you guys so much for your time. And uh, again, nothing but the best of luck in growth for Hungry Harry's and uh, food brands that are supportive of allergy-free foods. And Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Thank Thanks you for so your much. Time. Love your work. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing exceptional one-to-one -one hands-on care to the greater Milwaukee area for over 25 years. Our physical and occupational therapists prepare custom plans for your condition to relieve pain and improve performance. 
Allow us to help you enjoy more freedom at freedompt.com.